Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's the end of September. It's September 30th, 2021, and COVID continues to dominate the news. Uh, we have mandate. Uh, mandates in California, where I am, but the the map of uh, of the United States, at least when it comes to COVID, is 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 way too red. COVID is changing the health scene dramatically, and my guest today on the show has an interesting new book out. Your life depends on it. What you can do to make better choices about your health, which is of course a daily issue affecting us uh, in the age of the pandemic, in the age of COVID. Um, the author of this book is Talia Miran Shat. She's based in Israel, and I'm thrilled that she's uh, joining us today. Uh, Talia, congratulations on the book. Um, Thank you. It's very exciting. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and tell me, uh, in your view, uh, how, how COVID is changing everything uh, when it comes to how we define uh, the priorities of our own health care. I think what COVID did is put a magnifying glass on every possible issue in healthcare, some that were underlying and were just waiting to surface, boom, they are right there. Um, I can give you a couple of examples. So one, and it's the most mundane one perhaps, is how we process health information. So I did my postdoc at Princeton University with Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel laureate, and he defines human thinking by yeah, two systems. the author of Thinking Fast and um, Slow, he blurbs your book, and you also mention mm -hmm. him extensively in the book itself. Go on, sorry. Exactly, because he talks about how we think, and we think fast and slow, and the fast is like system one. We process information very quickly. We're not very evidence-based. We're like, okay, let me decide, which is terrific when you're choosing a sandwich, right? You don't want to be deliberating forever, but not great at all when you're deciding about healthcare. But that's easy. System one is easy. System two, oh, it takes time, it takes information, it takes processing. And we like system one. So how do we decide? We find a slogan, we find something that's appealing and we go with that. And if that is trustworthy, good for us. If that is not trustworthy, we're not in a great place. And I think that's where we are with 700 Americans, 700,000 Americans dying of COVID and counting. That's grim. Um, something else that happens with our thinking, and that's, I did my PhD on that. I didn't think I would be using it in medical decision-making, but here we are, is the confirmation bias. It's our tendency to have a thought, and it can just be not based on anything, but it's what we think or believe. And then we continue to believe that what we do when opposing evidence comes along, we dismiss it. We say, oh yeah, that's like, but whoever, whatever said that, I don't trust them or that's not important. Let me go on sticking with what I've been believing for a long time, even if it's hurting me, even if it's hurting me. And that is bad. Talia, uh, there are two things that came up in the introduction to the book that I was surprised about, at least in, in terms of a book about healthcare. One was a, a very entertaining uh, reference to when, Halle, uh, when Harry met Sally, of course, one of the great romantic films of all time. What does Sally teach us or what should Sally teach us about how to manage our own health and healthcare? 
So Sally, there's a diner scene. If you haven't watched the movie, you really should. It's a classic. Yeah, there's a iconic, diner scene. The iconic scene in an iconic movie when when Sally kind of at least in, in comedic terms seems to over over order uh, uh, a meal. But uh, you suggest that she's not actually over ordering over ordering at least when it comes to us rethinking our own health care. Exactly. So she's with Harry. He orders a number three and she orders this with that and a side of those. But if those are unavailable, it's a complicated order. The waitress just grunts at her. It's like, what do you want, lady? Why do you have to be so complicated? And it's very funny until the moment when you realize, wait a minute, she's the client. It's her meal. This is how she likes her apple pie and this is how she likes everything else and why should we make fun of her it's her it's her meal switch meal with health and you begin to understand why it's fine for us to say this is how i would like to be treated this is what's important for me and you may like a number three but what if i don't that comes to what you're arguing in the book what you call shared decision making mm -hmm. when it comes to medical you're you're arguing, or you seem to be arguing in the book, for much more aggressive uh, democratization of me uh, of of healthcare, at least when it comes to the relationship between the patient and the doctor. And you say that we can learn about this from our experiences in Starbucks, which is again another example I didn't expect to come up at the beginning of a book about managing our own uh, personal health. What does our experience at Starbucks, Talia, or what should it teach us? about being more aggressive, about becoming more like Sally and when Sally met Harry in terms of dealing with our doctors? Well, Andrew, first of all, I'm glad I managed to surprise you. I think people will buy a book on medical decision-making because it's important and then they'll put it aside because it's gonna be a bummer to read. This book is not a bummer to read. I made a very conscious effort at that. Um, I'm actually not really all for being aggressive. I'm for saying, the Assertive, you know, I, that, I, I use that word unfairly. You're not arguing for aggressiveness, but you are arguing that people need to be assertive. Is that fair? It's fair to say that we're now given the role of healthcare consumers, like in Starbucks. You come and they say, oh, whatever, with whatever for Andrew. It's very different from the guy standing behind you, right? It's like whatever you chose, the, the size, the amount of shots, etc. You're a, you're a consumer switch to healthcare, you're also a consumer, but you have a lot less knowledge. And that's a problem because you might want things that aren't great for you and then you're, you're going to suffer. Your health is going to suffer. So I think I'm advocating for a number of things. One of them is you need a relationship with your doctor. There has to be a relationship and doctors have to partake in that. And healthcare systems need to help us. So th that's something that surprised me. I did not think I was going to write about healthcare systems. But I realized that when we meet our doctors, we're in charge, they're in charge, and someone else is in charge. The healthcare system is in charge of giving us enough time to be with them, of giving us materials that we can understand. And that, in my mind, is democratizing, is to say, hey, Andrew, you can choose about your knee treatment. And you're like, "I'm wait, that's not my job. I don't know much about knee treatments. What do you want? You're, I'm, I'm, it's been thrust upon me, but you're not helping me. So that is definitely something that I'm advocating for very strongly, both through the relationship 
and for systems to facilitate, to help, help us make decisions, not just say, hey, you can decide, which is bogus. It's, it's fake empowerment. It's empowerment, which really is abandonment in the disguise of empowerment. Talia, we've had a number of shows about the problematic, and that's a polite, euphemistic way <laughs> of describing the American healthcare system. Uh, and I'm curious what you think. We had Ton Hartman on the show recently. He's written a short book about the shameful history of American healthcare. We also had the very distinguished yeah. American physician, Robert Pearl, who has a new book out, very controversial book, Uncaring, which talks about uh, the healthcare system in America that not only makes patients miserable, but doctors as well. How rotten in you. I know you're talking to us from Israel, but you spent a lot of your life and your training in the United States. How rotten is the American system when it comes to healthcare? How much is that the core problem now? That's, oh, that's a word we should never be using when we talk about healthcare, right? Um, I think it's problematic. I think it's a machine. It's a machine and you have wonderful people going into it saying, I want to help people. I want to be a doctor. I want to help people. I want to heal them. I want to connect with them, right? That's, that's why you go to medical school. Um, and then the process churns them out. I, I did actually a webinar today with someone who I interviewed for the book. I mentored him at Princeton University, and he was part of a program at UCSF where they worked with the cancer patients with uh, women who had breast cancer, just talking to them and helping them prepare for their doctor's visits. He said that was a wonderful gap year because then he went into med school and there's no time for that sort of thing, for that sort of connection, focus on the patient and patient communication and preferences, et cetera. So it's a process and that's what happens when you churn patients very quickly, when they don't really understand what's happening when perhaps there's a lack of trust. None of this is good. And by the way, it's not just bad for patients and patients' health, it's also bad for doctors. Because doctors, remember, we said they went in because they wanted to help and to connect. And if they're not allowed to do that, if there's no communication, if they feel like a conveyor belt, then that's very frustrating. So I, I think if we reverse that, we will be improving care will be improving doctors' lives and, and patients' lives. And I always try to put a bottom line on that, not just to say, oh, it's going to be good for people, also to say, it's going to be good for the system. You're going to be saving money. You're going to be making more money. Why? Because that's how systems work, and you have to incentivize them to do the right thing. Natalia, there's an ongoing debate, particularly in the United States, about the merits of a privatized system like the United States and uh, public medical systems like in Canada and, and, and mm -hmm. the United Kingdom, perhaps in Israel. I'm not actually that familiar with the, the healthcare system in Israel. Uh, in, in terms of your arguments in, in your life depends on it. Mm -hmm. Should we have a single payer system? Is that better for patients? Do you have a, a line, a view on that? So I don't really deal with the financial aspects. I can say a few things about that. I can say that to not have health care is very distressing. My first year at Princeton, uh, Princeton employees did not have medical insurance for medication, just for medication. And I remember my little girl, she was in second grade needing eardrops and they cost $60. That was 2005. I was on a postdoc salary. 
hello, $60. And you had to pay for the doctor's visit. And if you went the next day, you also had to pay for the doctor's visit. That was completely new to me. I was, I was an outsider. I came from a place where medicine is nationalized and you don't pay at all to see a pediatrician because the reasoning is if a kid needs to see a doctor, let them see a doctor. And uh, medication is heavily subsidized. So that was a glimpse into what it's like to need healthcare and to feel the pain of paying for it. And I remember having a conversation with the late economist, Uwe Reinhardt. We were corridor buddies at Princeton. And he was talking economy to me. He was saying, well, if people don't have healthcare insurance, it's their preference. I said, Uva, if you make $3,000 a month and health insurance is $1,300, are you really gonna pay that? Because remember, you also have to pay your rent and you might wanna eat something. And he's like, whoa, I haven't thought of it. Brilliant, brilliant man, but he had not been in that position. So I was, you know, I wasn't happy to have been in that position, but I was because I could experience that. And I think that's bad. I mean, there's there's a movie, Bad Boys. It's a, it's a really dumb movie. It's these kids and one of them dislocates his shoulder and he starts screaming, I don't have insurance. That's terrible. I, I think that's really a terrible place to be. I, and it's good that I didn't put money into my book in a, in a blatant way into the set of considerations because I think it shouldn't be there. I think... If you need healthcare, you should get it. And we see that with COVID. Vaccinations are free. Why are they free? Right? Remember I said COVID just brought to the surface every issue we're encountering because COVID is a public health issue and public health is such a boring term, right? And nobody ever thinks it's sexy. Guess what? We're in the middle of a public health crisis. Now I care about you vaccinating because you could give me COVID or if you're sick, my country, go, my state grows really red, my kids can't go to school, et cetera. So we're all interdependent. So I might as well really care that you have health insurance and, and everyone else who's listening, at least to a minimal degree. Talia, finally, and it's appropriate as a final question in, in this conversation, um, you have a, 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 a last chapter in the book called Dance Me to the End of Life, which is, of course, a reference to Leonard Cohen's great song, Dance Me to the End of Love. Um, what's the goal here? We had um, Sergey Young on the show, uh, a longevity investor, scientist, thinker, prophet, who says that we can be living to the age of 200 by the end of the century. What do you suggest in terms of thinking about death, which is, of course, the core issue when it comes to um, trying to sort out our health uh, in, in your okay. book, your life depends on it. Do we need to rethink what our life is? Do we need to come to terms with the fact that everyone dances a final dance? The answer is yes. I mean, even if we live to be 200, it's going to end one day. And I saw that Decision-making around health is complicated and decision-making around end of life epitomizes that. People really walk away from these conversations and by people, I mean doctors who feel that if they tell their patients that they're gonna die, they have failed their patients. Patients who are afraid to talk about it because they will distress their caregivers and disappoint their doctors because what kind of a patient am I if I'm dying? I'm like failing my physician. So people are skirting the topic, not talking about it. And what I suggested, as you said, you know, thinking about the meaning of life is to combine 
these conversations with milestone birthdays. Because when you have just turned 40 or 30, 60, you're contemplating, you're in a contemplative mood. And you'll notice that because when you turn 41, you just go out for a beer with your buddies. But when you turn 40, you're like, where have I gone in life? What's happening, et cetera. I have work on that. Hal Hirschfield at UCLA and Adam Alter at NYU have work on that. So I suggested to couple that because we're all going to die one day, hopefully peacefully in our beds when we're 200 and, and accomplished, but maybe not. And our loved ones might have to make decisions for us. And when they do, they might as well know what we want, because if they don't, it could be a very tormenting experience for them. You know, we get to choose, right? We, we spoke about Starbucks, but what about if you're not choosing a latte? What about if you're choosing end of life care for a loved one? What about if you're saying, let's not resuscitate dad? Let's not. He's doing very poorly. He did, he did not want to be resuscitated. Now, if I know that he did not want to be resuscitated, I can say, let's not resuscitate dad. And I don't feel guilty. All I'm doing is I'm channeling his wishes. But if I don't know, I'm in trouble. And I don't think anyone should be in this type of trouble or bear the burden of responsibility and potential regret over making such decisions and choices. So I suggest we talk about death. And, you know, that's a way of dancing us to the end of life together and with dignity and with the, the possibility of being listened to. Who do you hope the, the book appeals to, Talia? Is it to patients or doctors or both? As I said, um, we've had a number of shows about the, the crisis in the medical system, particularly in the, yeah. in the United States, uncaring. Do you think doctors could read your book too and learn something? Do doctors need to understand their patients better? Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought I was writing, I wasn't writing for patients. I was writing for people because a lot, many of us don't define ourselves as patients, but we might be patients one day. Um, we all make health choices. You know, if you, if you take good care of your gums or not, that's a health choice. So everyone who's feeling guilty about not having flossed today, you made a health choice. So people, and I have takeaways for people. Then I realized I would be remiss if I did not write takeaways for doctors because Definitely, doctors must read this book. It explains, it helps explain what goes on in their offices in terms and terminology and using psychology and behavioral economics and in a very approachable, I hope, way that will help them understand what's going on and make things better. And another third target audience, smaller but incredibly important, is for healthcare executives. They run the show. They run the business, they run the show. And I wrote takeaways for them as well. Because for example, if there's a good way to under to present probabilities and you're not using that, if there's a good way to present health information in a way that appeals to everyone in their darkest hour, which really sickness makes us smaller, makes us meek, diminishes our cognitive abilities. Try thinking hard when you're in pain. No, pain just hijacks you. So if healthcare executives realize that, hopefully they'll communicate to us in a way that we can understand, regardless of where we are right now. And you know, if they do that, and if doctors do that, and if patients do that, I think healthcare can be better. It can be more satisfying for everyone involved, more human. 
and more cost effective. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And we would all it be would. You mentioned flossing. Finally, finally, Talia. Um, I'm not sure flossing is going to make our lives longer or perhaps even more pleasurable, although no one wants their teeth falling out. Um, <laughs> we're continually reading about why exercise is more important or why weight loss is more important, mm -hmm. why we should give up alcohol, um, why we should uh, do in-person uh, in therapy, why we should be continually checking our skin against for skin, for skin cancer. Name me one thing, one thing that people can take away from this conversation. Your life depends on it, but changing um, your attitudes to your body, to your health, that might pro not only prolong your life, but make your life happy. One thing. Don't avoid making health decisions. We're sometimes afraid. We know there's a problem. We're like, oh, I don't want to hear. I don't want to know the doc. We don't go see the doctor. Go see the doctor. Talia said so. Talia with a Y. I'm telling you, if you have a health issue, deal with it head on. Don't wait for it to become a major problem. That's the takeaway. And if you read my book, you're going to be better equipped to do that, to have that conversation with your physician and to understand the information they're giving you. There you have it. Talia with a Y has told you. Go and see your doctor. Talia Myron Schatz, your life depends on it. Very engaging, entertaining, and surprising new book. Congratulations, Talia, on that. Uh, best of luck with everything. Uh, I hope you will live to 200, and we'll certainly have you back on the show again to get some more of your health tips from Talia with a Y. Thank you so much. Absolutely. An absolute pleasure. Thank you, Andrew.